The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericahealth.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Welcome to Autism One, a conversation of hope brought to you by Enzymedica with host Terry Aranga. All comments, views, and opinions expressed are solely those of the host, guest, and callers. In the next hour, Terry and her guest illuminate how right now there is more reason than ever for individuals with autism spectrum disorders and their families to have the best hope for the brightest future. Through education and conversation, there is hope. Here's your host, Terry Aranga. Welcome to the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel and this program, Autism One, a conversation of hope for Tuesday, January 4th. I'm Terry Arango with co-host Kristen Selby-Gonzalez, and we are welcoming Sherry Schellenberger and Mary Sue Williams, co-owners of Therapy Works Incorporated. Mary Sue and Sherry are occupational therapists who have over 25 years of experience and who have focused on developing practical ways to teach people of all ages how to incorporate sensory integration theory into everyday living. Their ALERT program is an innovative program that supports children, teachers, parents, and therapists in choosing appropriate strategies to change or maintain states of alertness. They have produced books and other materials, including Take 5, Staying Alert at Home and School, and we'll talk about these later in the show. Welcome, Sherry and Mary Sue. Hi, Jerry. Hi, Hi. Kristen. Thanks Thanks. for having us. Well, Sherry and Mary Sue, in case some of our listeners are not familiar with your program, can you please describe what is the ALERT program, how did it develop, and what makes it unique? Well, the ALERT program is just a way of helping children and their adults to be able to understand how they change, how alert they feel, and what they can do if they're not feeling alert at school or at home. Um, It developed back uh, about 25 years ago now. I was working with a client. She was an 11-year-old girl, and I'm forever grateful she came into my life because her needs helped me to understand that we needed to develop a way for her to talk about her inner experience of how alert she felt. Um, she would come into a therapy room uh, as an occupational therapist. We had a uh, sort of like a great indoor playground that she would come into, and she would sit on a bench and take her shoes off, and she was in such a low state of alertness that she looked droopy, she was lethargic, she had no facial expression, although she could often express herself. And um, she would then get up and do active play on the swings and the equipment, and there would be this dramatic um, uh, transformation, transformation really. for her. Yeah, it really was that she uh, uh, would look energetic, she'd be enthusiastic, she'd start talking with me, she had all kinds of ideas how she wanted to play, and then uh, she'd leave the therapy session and think, wow, this is really great, we're making progress, this is good, but every single therapy session she'd come in, the same thing would happen. I asked her parents and her teachers, there was really no carryover to home or school. And so I realized I needed to find a way to explain to her this transformation I was seeing and have some words to be able to talk about what was helping her body to change how alert she felt. 
So I just came up with the idea. I said, you know, if your body's like a car engine, sometimes it runs on high, sometimes it runs on low, and sometimes it runs just right. And then when she was sitting on the bench, I would talk to her about her engine, and I'd say, gee, it looks like your engine's really kind of droopy right now. It looks like it's in low, and it's hard to get up and get going. Then when she'd get up and do active play, she'd have the transformation happen. I'd say, oh, looks like your engine's just right. I can tell because it's easier for you to play with me and tell me your ideas and use your muscles and your body. If her engine went up into high, it's really important that it's not a judgment call. It's not good or bad, right or wrong. It's just a comment that I would make to her. Oh, looks like your engine's in high right now. It's going so fast and you're uh, talking quickly and it's kind of hard for you to play with me again. And not only did I talk to her about her engine, but I talked to her about my engine. And I talked to her when I felt droopy and I'd show her what that looked like. And I talked to her when my engine went up into high so that she knew that we all have engines um, and that we all do things to change how alert we feel. So I think the the thing that makes the alert program unique is that Mary Sue recognized this need to have vocabulary about our levels of alertness. We have vocabulary about lots of other things in life, our emotions and all that kind of thing, and we teach kids about that, but we never really seem to in our culture have addressed teaching them about how we all maintain our levels of alertness or change our levels of alertness. So that's really kind of, I think, probably the unique part there. Oh, Sherry, that uh, that sounds vital, and and I think you're right. I think that's something that people don't usually think about, uh, the importance of language. Well, years ago when my son was very small, I received your brochure, and it talked about self-regulation. What is self-regulation? Why do you prioritize this? And how can a child with deficits and challenges pull themselves up on the rungs of self-regulation? Well, it's such a... Such a great question, and obviously it's a thing that Mary Sue and I have so much passion about, because, and I kind of joke a little bit uh, in our materials that um, my own self-regulation needs probably drive me to understand it a little bit. I joke about coming from the slug family where we're all a little bit on the droopy end and have a little bit of trouble maintaining attention, and that was true for me even as a, as a kid. Uh, I was a good student in school, but it's hard for me to sit still and pay attention well for long periods of time. So I feel like that's why I can understand about self-regulation. So if we want to go like the real definition of it, in, is it's self-regulation is the ability to attain, maintain, or change our levels of alertness appropriately to what we want to do. So obviously the alert level that we need for doing something socially may be really different than an alert level that we need for when we're going to take a test or an alert level that we need when we're trying to learn to ride a bike or um, demonstrate our knowledge. You know, all of these things require real different levels of attention from us and uh, and alertness from us. And what we know for sure is that when our self-regulation is in a good place for the task we're trying to do, we do it better, we do it more efficiently, more effectively. We're able to, and especially for lots of our kids that we're thinking about and talking about here today, is that then they're able to show us the best of who they are if we have them in that just right kind of place for that particular task. And the thing that's so interesting to me is we're all self-regulators. That It's not a special education issue. It's not an autism issue. It's not a, a sensory processing issue. It's an issue for all of us. We all are involved in self-regulation, whether we're very aware of it or not. And some of us are a whole lot better than others or more automatic at it than others, but we're all in need of it, let's say. All right, so say that I came into your office and I was all 
droopy. It, you know, it would be, it, it seems that it would be a vicious cycle because if a person is feeling droopy, they maybe they're not feeling motivated to, to rev themselves up into an enhanced state of alertness. How do you break through that and help someone realize the need or motivate them physically to come out of droopy? Right, and that's, it's such a challenge, really. And th- this is the thing that for uh, us as the observers of each other, especially for lots of families and teachers that might be interested in thinking, okay, so I see this in my child, how do I help them, is that what we know in the theory of neurology and how the brain works is that when we do activities that involve heavy work, and we'll talk about heavy work activities being pushing, pulling, tugging, towing, uh, carrying heavy objects, those kinds of things, actually stimulate certain receptors in the body that are around our muscles, tendons, and joints. And those receptors send messages to the brain that actually go to the middle part of our brain that's basically the part that kind of regulates, uh, it's our thermostat, if you will, of how attentive we are. And so if we see someone that's in a droopy place, uh, then we would want to look at what are some kind of great heavy work activities that we could do that would help to support them to set their nervous system up to be in the place where they can be the most successful for what we're asking them to do. Now, I can tell you, I'm going to put the kid in real quick. Yeah, um, I can tell you with my own son, because I use the alert program, a lot of your techniques with my son on a daily basis, and have, you know, helped him with self-regulation and taught him keywords, and, you know, some of the things that we do in the autism community, um, like, you know, a lot of our kiddos love jumping on the trampoline, right? Mm -hmm. That's a a lot of great work for our kids. Um, Like, I know with uh, my son... He wakes up, he has his whole, like, routine of, like, he knows what he needs for his body now because we've been doing your program now for so many years or, you know, the, the philosophy and the tools and techniques from it. And he is, he's so good about now, you know, telling me. He actually, um, I was joking with you guys the other day um, on the phone. Um, we had a conversation, and my son now will tell me, I need heavy work. I need heavy work. <laughs> he now knows, and I'll say, okay, what do we want to do? And it's so nice to see my son be able to pull a tool from the tool, um, the toolbox, toolbox almost, where he knows to push his hands. He, he'll do jumping jacks. He'll, like, he'll, he'll push his head. He'll touch his toes. He'll go and say, okay, let's go clean up, and I'll give him all the heavy stuff to kind of clean up around the room. He understands because I think when our kids start to feel so much better and it starts to – because I don't think most people want to feel droopy, you know. Right. When you start feeling – it's kind of like after you go to the gym and you feel so energetic after you go to the gym. Yeah. And you feel like, oh, I can do this, this, and that. It's because your body, your body was, you know, uh, craving that. And I think a lot of our kids are craving this. They just don't know how to do it. And so when you show them how to do different things, I, I really believe the sky's the limit for them. It's really true, Kristen. And um, I feel that when we work with kids, uh, and we'll talk a little bit later with children who are nonverbal, but when we're working directly with children like your son, that we teach kids that there are five ways to change engine levels. They can put something in their mouth, move, touch, look or listen. 
so heavy mm-hmm. work, and some of the examples we've been starting with here is in the move category, and that we teach children, and especially their adults, so they can give good suggestions, as you did with your son, is to be able to have them understand there's a whole wide range of things that we all do to stay alert. And we are actually doing throughout our day, we just don't think about it. For example, when I got up this morning, I needed to get up. First thing, I like to uh, get a shower. That alerts me. That's in the touch category. Then in the mouth category, I like to have crunchy granola. That's something that alerts me and gets me going. I also have some uh, tea uh, first thing in the morning, so that's in the, again, the mouth category. Um, Move, I like to do some yoga in the morning. Those are all the things that I do naturally, but we don't usually as adults talk to one another about that, and the whole idea of the ALERT program is bringing that up to awareness for both children and the adults. So, Mary, is it like movement chemically retrains your receptors? Well, um, technically what it is uh, um, is that the... The receptors that we're talking about here are called proprioceptors. They're in the muscles, tendons, and joints, and they are the uh, recept- sensory-, sensory and motor receptors that actually have a direct link up to the middle part of the brain that regulates that attention level. So that's a really, and, and I'd like to say that's the thing, another thing that's a little bit unique about the ALERT program is we really talk about heavy work activities that are going to stimulate those kind of receptors in all those different categories that Mary Sue just referred to so that it's something that parents don't have to be afraid they would do in a way that might hurt or set their child off to be more disorganized. Make their engine go higher. Right. (laughs) That as therapists, we have other ways that we can do, but what the safest way, if you will, uh, without the most contraindications is sticking with heavy work activities because really the worst side effect about heavy work is that the child will get tired. (laughs) And so, uh, you know, as long as we're not weighting them down totally unreasonably or something like that. But but so so that is, in terms of brain and how the brain works, it's a really nice, safe way for families to be able to do because uh, families have enough uh, of a job being families, they don't need to also have to be therapists, you know. And so uh, while therapists may have lots of other things that they could do in a clinic when they have big activities, what we know to be true in classrooms and homes is that we can always fall back on this heavy work piece and have that work. And the really exciting piece is that heavy work works whether you're in that droopy place that you asked about, Terry. It also works to help modulate you when you're in that real high-engine place, really stressed or really hyper uh, it, it'll work too. So for our so, teachers, it's fantastic because it's the you know it's the punchline tool. When in doubt, do heavy work is what we tell parents and teachers, and we eventually teach children themselves. When in doubt, do heavy work because it works when your engine's high or low to get you to do a just right place. Well, well, I go, if I can jump in real quickly too, the um, what I think is so great is um, for me um, when I talk to other parents too is that a lot of kids are already doing self-regulation, mm-hmm. but and then we try to take it away from them. So maybe they're chewing on their shirt, or you know maybe they're picking at something, or and we we then think that that's like a bad thing, but it's really not. They're trying to figure it out. So what I love about your program is that you give alternatives um, to things that they're already trying to take care of their body in certain ways, but we give them uh, safe alternatives that make sense and actually are more useful to them. Yeah. Kristen, that's a great point. We, we need to realize that our kiddos' behaviors are trying to send us messages and communicating with us about what their needs are, and we'll talk more about this when we come back from break at the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. Thank you to our sponsor, Enzymedica. We'll be right back.
listening to Voice America Health and Wellness. The Autism Hope Alliance is dedicated to the recovery of children and adults from autism. The goal of this nonprofit organization is to ignite hope for families facing the diagnosis through education and funding to promote progress today. Diet modification, biomedical intervention, and educational therapy have been shown to be successful tools on the path to recovery. Through these efforts, we believe hope will replace hopelessness. Recovery for our children is a reality. For more information, go to AutismHopeAlliance.org. The Mayan calendar tells us that we will be entering into a 260-day opportunity for us to engage in conscious co-creation with great spirit. How will we prepare ourselves for this exciting and unprecedented time in Earth's history? Peter Tung has dedicated over 20 years of his life's work to exploring that which is beyond understanding. Peter will help increase your awareness and education on this enlightening transformation in consciousness. Awakening to Conscious Co-Creation airs live Wednesdays at noon Pacific Time, 3 p.m. Eastern Time on 7th Wave Network. In the spirit of Have Couch, Will Travel, Dr. Carol Lieberman creates a haven of sanity in an increasingly insane world. Each day we are bombarded with news of events that have never crossed our wildest nightmares. Society is spiraling out of control and everyone is reeling from it. But now there's an answer. The best way to keep sane in this insane world is to tune in to Dr. Carol's Couch on Voice America. Dr. Carol, a certified media psychiatrist, will broadcast live from her Beverly Hills office every Tuesday at 1 p.m. Pacific Time. Call or log in and get help with whatever is sending you reeling whenever you need a soothing voice to calm and advise you. That's Dr. Carol's Couch every Tuesday at 1 p.m. Pacific Time here on America's Voice, voiceamerica.com. Your life, your health, your network. You're listening to Voice America Health & Wellness. Welcome back to Autism One, a conversation of hope with Terry Aranga. If you have a question or comment, call us toll-free at 866-472-5792. Now back to the program. Here's Terry. We are back with Sherry Schellenberger and Mary Sue Williams, co-owners of Therapy Works Incorporated, and we're talking about the Alert program with my co-host, Kristen Selby-Gonzalez. And before the break, Kristen was alluding to behaviors being redirected in, in more productive uh, directions. So, but do you use the ALERT program, uh, too, with lower-functioning children? Where are your kiddos? And you're using an engine analogy, but what if you're not sure that the child is grasping abstract ideas? Well, you know, that, that is a great question because uh, when we, uh, when, especially when Mary Sue originally designed the work, it was with some higher functioning kiddos who we really wanted to give them, I mean, we, we talked about giving them the vocabulary of this information, matching an inner experience of their body to this engine level idea. And for our children who aren't going to be verbal or, or who are probably not going to be independent in their own self-regulation, meaning that they're totally in charge of it because developmentally we all get pretty independent in our own self-regulation. And so for our kids who aren't there yet, we certainly want to have ways that the caregivers and the folks that are involved in helping them to learn know and understand about self-regulation. So they're going to have to be the observers and try to make sense of those behaviors that we're seeing and decide, oh, is, is this body trying to tell me something? And so uh, especially like for, I would say for a lot of children who aren't verbal, 
uh, one of the big things is to not jump in and change things right away, but do a lot of good observing so that as caretakers and teachers, we're going to want to look and say, well, do they perform better when they're doing that? Does it seem like it's helping them? Or does it seem like they're so focused on, on, on that particular behavior that it's actually uh, distracting them from what we were asking them to do? And so, um, you know, in terms of diagnoses, we see lot, a huge variety of developmental diagnostic categories um, and disorders autism, attention deficit, uh, the fetal alcohol spectrum of uh, fetal alcohol syndrome, fetal alcohol effect, and then a lot with mental health disorders because what we're seeing is lots of folks with a lot of anxiety or bipolar or uh, aggressive behavior issues are seeming to be able to benefit and then some behavioral uh, diagnostic categories. But as I said, mainly the general population needs to know it too, and what's exciting to us is like we had a chance last year to talk to the New Mexico Association of Elementary School Principals and say, you know, self-regulation isn't a fad. It's not going away. It's the big basis of how we uh, perform in life, and, uh, and we want all, all children to know about it. And that's kind of what we find is then when we have strategies that work in classrooms or work at home, often the siblings will want to do some of the same things, or often the other kids in the class will say, well, I could use that too, you know, kind of thing. And so uh, that's kind of, to me, a real fun and exciting thing because, uh, because it is so basic to all of our populations. And uh, if I could just interject, um, to our definition of an independent self-regulator, a child who can um, learn what they need to do to change how alert they feel when they're independent in self-regulation, the example we give is that uh, the mom or dad might say, you know, we're going to go on a long car ride, and that's sometimes hard on your engine. Why don't you take your backpack, go into your bedroom and get a few things, go into the kitchen and get a few things, and meet you out in the, in the car in about uh, five minutes. The child would be able to know in the mouth, move, touch, look, and listen categories what things they need, what helps their engine, and what could help them to stay in a just right place in the car to get to uh, maybe their grandmother's house. For a child who's not independent in self-regulation, what we want is that parent, um, ideally the teacher and all the adults in that child's life, to be able to observe the child, to be able to think, uh, you know, we're going to be going on a long car ride, um, I better get his backpack, I'll go into his room and get some things, I'll go into the kitchen and get some things, and the parent knows in those categories, mouth, move, touch, look, and listen, what to do uh, to help their child stay in a just right place in the car. And right. one of the things I was thinking about in terms of when we, we think of the behaviors that we see and we get concerned for our kids about their behaviors is that if I'm ever thinking in my mind, oh, just get over it, this isn't a big deal, all those things that happen, even though I teach this information, there are those moments in life where we get those kind of thoughts, that's my first clue that I should step back and look at what might be going on and what the child might be attempting to do in terms of self-regulation, and I might be missing it. Right. Uh, um, I think that the body wants to heal itself, and what you're doing is giving um, the tools for for individuals to help uh, cope with things, cope yes. with different situations. You know, we we probably take things for granted as parents because we just do things so naturally. If we're taking our child on a car ride or or mm-hmm. going to uh, a relative's house for the holidays. We know we have to pick up um, some 
goodies, some food goodies that the child likes and bring yes. their favorite toys. Yes. When, when we go on a plane ride, we know that we're going to be bored out of our skull and jumping out <laughs> of our seat right. if we forget to bring a book or a, a, a book of puzzles, something like that. So um, we tend to do those kinds of things naturally. And just in the way, too, that the body wants to heal itself and you're giving pe- individuals tools, it's wonderful that you you have this innovative approach of providing vocabulary for the information because language really can direct thoughts. Yes, right. And even if the child is nonverbal and may not be understanding it, that same language we communicate to the adults in the child's life to have them understand you have an engine also as an adult. We all do things for self-regulation, and that's a great example, Terry, of what do you do when you're on a plane? What do you do for your own engine to keep alert and attentive? And then uh, we expand that and to understand and start observing the child. What are they already doing? Because we all are um, really, we seek out what we need to stay in a just right place or to be able to change our alert level, and that does come naturally to some, and other kids need a little more help and guidance. And I'll actually take it a step further is as we have bigger security issues and we have more rules on the airlines, notice how our behavior changes and people get mad a whole lot faster. I want my headphones that are the noise-canceling headphones on and don't tell me I can't have them on when we're taking off and we're landing. And, you know, that, it's, it's really interesting to me as a person that travels a lot to watch all those responses of people that seem big or out of proportion sometimes are very often like our way of saying, no, this is an important thing to me and it helps me and you're taking it away and how, how hard that can feel to us as capable adults and how overwhelming it can feel to kids who have limited amounts of ways to try to keep themselves together. And then when we start taking them away, we're surprised that we see these incredible behavioral responses sometimes. Wow, that's a fantastic point. And what's the age range of the children whom you help in your program? Well, we actually um, talk in our trainings and um, we address it in some of our books that we can basically use the concepts of the ALERT program with children from birth to three years old, preschool, elementary, middle school, high school, and then adults who have um, self-regulation needs. And the way we do that, obviously, with different ages is we'd never expect an infant. Uh, we'd never say, you know, what's wrong with your engine? Get your engine together. <laughs> we would never say that to an infant. But we talk to the parents, for example, with the young ones, have the parents observe and tell me, you know, what's a typical day for your child? And I'm listening, does the, does the infant or toddler wake up sort of droopy or the alert and perky? And how are their sleep-wake cycles? Because we self-regulate in the day and we self-regulate at night. Um, and for preschool-age children, uh, sometimes we can get those uh, children helping them to understand maybe something concrete like, oh, let's put our hand on your heart. Feel how fast your heart's beating. Let's try to slow that down. Um, and then, again, children who are nonverbal, who that might even be a concept that's too challenging for them, that then we have the adults, the teachers, and the parents understanding when's this child's uh, engine in low or high. And lots of preschool children uh, who are a little bit more verbal um, can understand the Winnie the Pooh analogy. We don't have to use the engine analogy. We adapt it in lots of different ways that have meaning to children. And the Winnie the Pooh analogy works well in a preschool uh, to say that Winnie the Pooh is just right and, 
yours low and Tigger's up and high. And then at that age, we don't ask direct questions. We wouldn't say, oh, you're, you're like Tigger. What are you going to do about it? We'd say more like, <laughs> oh, it looks like we're all Tiggers right now, and let's all jump over to circle time and jump like Tigger because the jumping would be in the move category, would help them to be able to be ready to sit down in circle time. And then for older kids, middle school, high school, and adults, um, we then don't use the engine analogy. I might tell them a story oh, when I'm working with younger children. I tell them about their engine. Uh, but then we just use high alert, low alert. Sometimes with uh, high schoolers, we'll say in the zone or uh, a just right place. And so we can adapt the vocabulary for all ages of children. And again, when children are not not going to be talking about how alert they feel, then we use those words with the adults. I'm going to go out on a limb here um, because um, sometimes you know people will talk about one kind of therapy uh, but not bring in uh, other types of factors. But is it is it also important when parents try to implement this with their children that if they're trying to rev the engine down, they watch out for the the types of snacks their kids are eating. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah. I, I would say that we're talking about, um, and the engine vocabulary, we're just talking about one tiny little piece of what has to be considered for children. Of course, there's, there's medical issues, there's um, the nutritional issues that you're mentioning, and I know you've spent so much time on your program doing such a great job of educating folks about all that importance. There's the importance of how much sleep we get, how much water we get, how our, you know, how our bodies are um, able to take in and make sense of all these other information. So this sensory motor piece is just one tiny little piece. And of course, the wonderful things that we're learning about through all kinds of good research and uh, about diet, nutrition, uh, supplements, the importance of all those different support is huge, and, uh, and, and even medications or things that children can be on. Of course, they affect our nervous system. As a matter of fact, like, for instance, any kid that would have asthma or uh, those kinds of things, if they took medications, those are medications that really make your nervous system go through the roof, you know, and that's not about your engine at that point. That's about a medication that you've had introduced into your body. So, so certainly we're talking about it in this one tiny little way, but it's just one little piece of this much, much larger picture that so many families are faced with. The challenges of putting, uh, it's, you know, it's not a coincidence, all of the autism information has that puzzle kind of factor to it because, of course, this is just one part that we know that can be helpful and supportive no matter what else is going on, but certainly we want to consider all those other pieces for sure. Right, and it's really neat that all the pieces can work together yeah. and help each other. But I do, I just, I remember my son's fourth birthday, and he was on uh, a GFCF diet, gluten-free, casein-free diet. Right. And someone was kindly brought over a cake for him, uh, but it had, I don't know, you know, 90, 100 pounds of sugar in it. And so <laughs> he was still, you know, swinging from the chandelier, um, or reasonable facsimile thereof. Right. We didn't have a chandelier, so that needed to be taken into consideration, <laughs> yeah, too. Absolutely. And, and that's a really good example, Terry, of how we would help the adults to use the vocabulary of the ALERT program that you may not have talked to your son directly about his engine, but in your mind you would think, wow, his engine's really high right now. And then you start to do that detective work is, 
okay, so did he get overstimulated because there was a lot of noise in the in the room? Did he get overstimulated because there was a lot of maybe light, unexpected touch with a crowd of people? Or was it the food? Was there something in there? So you already were automatically doing that. The alert program just sort of gives a framework to have more of the adults be those detectives that you naturally did in that moment, but we help the adults to observe, oh, his engine went really high. What happened before? Was there something in the environment? Was there something in the mouth, move, touch, look, or listen? And then you figured out that it probably was something else where the sugar was uh, affecting him. And when we say things, just want to clarify, when we say put something in the mouth, when we talk about things in the mouth category, that um, we uh, help adults to really be those detectives, what parts of the things they're putting in their mouth for food work and support the child to be in a just right place and which things might trigger their engine going to high or low. Um, but we also want to remember that in the mouth is also breath. We uh, recommend lots of breath activities that we know when our engine's up and high, most of us will have shallow upper chest breathing. And when our engines are in a just right place, we have deep belly breathing. And so we can watch children. That can be a clue to us if they're nonverbal, especially if they have more chest upper breathing, shallow breathing. That might be an indicator that they're in a high state and that they need maybe activities that could do more blowing activities. So even singing a song uses breath, and that might be something that can help them come back to a just right place. Wow, and if they're very non-verbal, good. they may not be singing, but, but, but yeah, but we can play with things with breath that way and, and help to work on to support that nervous system to be in a better place. And Wow, that's a great strategy, and we will pick up when we come back from break at the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. Thank you to our sponsor, Enzymedica. We will be right back. Opinions, options, answers. Voice America Health and Wellness. More and more parents of children affected by autism are discovering enzyme therapy as an important part of their treatment program. Digestive enzymes help to break down the foods which may enhance nutrient absorption. Used therapeutically, enzymes can also support the immune system to break down pathogens such as viruses, fungal forms, and bacteria. Enzyme Medica formulates the highest quality of enzyme supplements to address a wide variety of issues. Lacto, a broad-spectrum digestive enzyme focusing on the complete digestion of milk proteins. Gluten Ease, high in DPP-4 activity, known for its ability to help break down gluten. And Virus Stop, an enzyme formulated to assist in the body eliminating pathogens. Enzyme Medica provides the purest enzyme products, free of fillers, anything artificial, and of all common allergens. We are dedicated to education and helping you find the best products for your children. Learn more today at www.enzymemedica.com. To perform at your maximum potential, you need to have all aspects of your life working properly. On Mind, Brain, and Body, Dr. Michael John Kell will bring you honest, open discussions concerning your physical, mental, and financial health. If you're ready to find purpose and meaning in your life, tune in to Mind, Brain, and Body every Friday at 8 a.m. Pacific. Mind, Brain, and Body on Voice America Health and Wellness. Radio dedicated to your health, wealth, wisdom, and purpose. Most chronic health problems are caused by the interaction between genetic susceptibility and environmental exposure. This was defined 10 years ago by the Centers for Disease Control. 
Join Dr. Robin Bernhoft for 21st Century Medicine. We will cover the whole spectrum of chronic illness and little-known medical treatments that are being used to make you healthier. 21st Century Medicine airs live every Tuesday at 5 p.m. Pacific Time, 8 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. Opinions, options, answers. Voice America Health and Wellness. Welcome back to Autism One, a conversation of hope with Terry Aranga. If you have a question or comment, call us toll free at 866-472-5792. Now back to the program. Here's Terry. We are back with Mary Sue Williams and Sherry Schellenberger, who are the co-owners of Therapy Works, and we're here with Kristen Selby-Gonzalez, my show host. And Kristen, you've used the ALERT program with your son, as we mentioned earlier. And before the break, we were talking about strategies. I, I think it was Mary Sue who was talking about this great strategy of looking for how the child is breathing to be able to um, figure out what state they were in. What kind of strategies have you used in general and particularly from this program and the ones that Jackson likes the best? And does that include heavy work? I think you were talking about that earlier. Yeah, absolutely. And I I look at Jackson and I I try to kind of do some detective work. So going back to when we were talking earlier about how certain children might do certain um, activities that we're then trying to give an alternative to. So my son might chew on, like before he would like chew on toys. And so I knew he needed um, some heavy work in the mouth. And so I then gave the the alternative um, to maybe doing like the chewy tubes or maybe sucking through a straw in the morning or maybe getting, um, trying to figure out the textures of different foods he likes. So my son doesn't like a lot of crunchy foods, but so he doesn't get a lot of that heavy work with the, with the crunch. So he then was able to use the straw or the crazy straws, um, different things like that for my son um, in the mouth category. And then we do a lot of um, things like in the morning, he likes to have the lights really low and he likes to wake up in a very um, mellow way. Um, where me, I jump out of bed 10 minutes later, I'm like, I'm ready to, I'm ready to jam and can go. He really needs about an hour to kind of let his body warm up and wake up. And so we have the dimmer switches um, throughout the house. I put the dimmer light on. I have quiet music going throughout the house. Um, There's no television or anything like that on. And, you know, and so we start to get him up that way. He takes a nice uh, warm bath in the morning. And then at that moment, he's really ready to go. He's His levels, um, We you know, if you're doing them, we like the the Winnie the Pooh um, terminology. So we talk about him being Winnie the Pooh. And he's really at that just right place. And then, you know, he might go outside and um, we might go into the sandbox. And, you know, so there's different things that we can do to help um, his his body in that way or maybe riding a bike or, you know, riding a scooter, um, trying to get his body moving in some way. A lot of these things we do, these are things that I did as a kid, except I didn't actually think about what I was doing. I didn't think about it as, oh, I was, you know, um, doing something great for my body. I think about it a lot now with my own son. Gosh, my grandmother... She would always tell me, go outside and play, go outside and play. And, <laughs> and yet that's exactly what I'm doing with my son, except I now I'm more alert to my own self to understand what his needs are so I can really specialize um, the things that I offer for him to do to really get his body in that just kind of right place. And I can see him kind of going down, and I think a lot of our uh, a lot of the parents out there, we all know, we all know usually about 30 seconds before our kids, you know, can't handle something. And yeah. we always feel like we're walking around eggshells. But imagine if you had this toolbox 
in your mind. And actually, we do have, like, shoeboxes around the house where I can grab certain things for my son. Um, the alert program, uh, they call it, like, the fidget toys. And we have different things like that to where I can give that alternative really quick. Um, and it really helps him. And we give him those tools of having his words. And going back to nonverbal, my son was completely nonverbal when we started this. I mean, he might have had one or two words, but you couldn't understand it. And we modeled everything for him. So when we saw his engine either go high or go low, we would model different things for him. And as he gained language, he was able then to um, to tell us the different uh, tools that he needed. Kristen, you were talking earlier about some things to do with the mouth, and I was wondering how is that considered heavy work? Maybe I don't understand the definition. What is the difference between heavy work and not heavy work? Okay, do you want me to answer that, or do you guys want to answer that? Um, well, whatever you're comfortable with. Go ahead. For, yeah, go ahead, Kristen. That's fine. Okay, well, how about this? You, you go ahead and answer, and then I'll jump okay, in. Okay, you and... can chime in. <laughs> Sorry. Well, yeah. <laughs> it's a really good question, because I think a lot of people are probably wondering that, and, and I'm hoping that as Kristen's giving those great examples, we're all thinking as, of, oh, yeah, I do that with my child. Oh, I do that. And, and what we want with the ALERT program is not to say these are – Everything that we're talking about is new that you aren't already doing. We're saying think of the self-regulation potential that you're helping with here, and can you make it even bigger? And heavy work is the way to get more bang for your buck, if you will, (laughs) in those different categories. So in the mouth category, the heavy work, the actual act of sucking, again, is going to stimulate those sensory receptors that are involved in the muscles that are going to be sucking. So when you suck on something through a straw, especially if the what you suck is thick, like yogurt or something in a smoothie. Applesauce. Applesauce, or... yeah. Uh, those kinds of things. Uh, the more thick the thing that you're sucking on, the longer your straw, the thinner the diameter of the straw. These are all things that create more intense, heavy work in order to suck it up. And so um, I know we've all had the experience where you might have just have a straw in a in a milkshake or a smoothie <laughs> and you suck and, and it's like, wow, this is taking a ton of work to suck this up. Your eyeballs <laughs> feel different. Your mouth feels different, you know. And so that's the heavy work piece. It, it, that's very oversimplified, but that's kind of a way to understand that there's heavy work in each of these different categories. And it's, or uh, even like chewing gum, like a lot of us chew gum, and we don't ever think that. The people that are always chewing gum are sucking on a mint, um, and they're always grabbing their for their purse the minute they get a little tired in, like, let's say, a conference. Um, what do they do? They grab that mint. They grab that gum. They don't even realize they're actually self-regulating themselves. They, exactly. That helps them right. And, and the gum example is a good one is that when you think of literally a piece of gum, especially if you have a couple pieces of gum, some children need two or three to get enough heavy work, that literally your jaw and your muscles are having to work to chew that. Same thing with crunchy food or, or uh, really chewy food like a bagel. And so those are the ways that we think of that as heavy work for the jaw in the mouth. Does that offer us any insight on kids who have bruxism where they're grinding their teeth like they're popping popcorn, or is that a different um, biomedical well, type of reason? Well, that's a good example of how we want to be detectives, is that we want to look at when does a child um, uh, seem to be doing that, when are they grinding their teeth, uh, why are they grinding their teeth, and what does that tell us about the state of alertness? What is the child trying to communicate in that? So if we hear that the child... Um, always is uh, grinding their teeth at night, it could actually not have anything to do with sensory information. It might not have anything to do with them self-regulating. It might mean that they need to be at the dentist and getting someone who's very qualified to look at the bite that sometimes grinding teeth or is actually the body's 
internal way of trying to get those teeth ground down in a way that has a better bite. So there are many excellent dentists out there who do some really very specific ways, not just the blue carbon um, biting down, but they actually look at computers and have you bite on something that can show on the computer exactly what might be happening. So, um, having and our apologies to the dentists who are so much better at explaining that than we are, but, right, but it's a right. good example yet right. again of that we want to not just attribute everything to a sensory motor reason. And I think, too, that what you're really being respectful of here, you know, Sherry and Mary Sue, is that these are not just a bunch of smarty aleck kids who are misbehaving. Right, right. right. Well, a- and, and when we all know, we all know what it feels like to feel out of control, to feel, uh, you know, so lethargic that you can't move. Those are not, it's not a good feeling, you know, and, and so I find it hard to believe that this is a desire of any of us, you know, and so we want to kind of frame it in that way exactly, Terry. Now, you also work with teachers. What are some practical take-home strategies that um, teachers can immediately implement? Is that possible? And, yeah, and what I, I back up at just one point um, is that uh, when we're working with teachers, the first thing we do is make sure that they have experienced their own self-regulation. So the very first part we start with teachers is have them understand some of the basic concepts of uh, the engine and that they understand they did things that morning to help their own engine, that they are self-regulating throughout the whole day. So we always start with the teacher or the parent first and having them understand and experience their own self-regulation. So as I'm explaining a little bit about why I'm doing something, a strategy, if I explain the why behind what I'm doing first, it's more likely it will be implemented and followed through on. Um, So I just wanted to say we first start with the education piece, have them understand, maybe read one of our introductory booklets or something else. Excellent. Okay. And when we come back from break, we're going to learn more about your materials. We'll be right back at the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. Thank you to our sponsor, Enzymedica. Opinions, options, answers. You're listening to Voice America Health & Wellness. More and more parents of children affected by autism are discovering enzyme therapy as an important part of their treatment program. Digestive enzymes help to break down the foods which may enhance nutrient absorption. Used therapeutically, enzymes can also support the immune system to break down pathogens such as viruses, fungal forms, and bacteria. Enzyme Medica formulates the highest quality of enzyme supplements to address a wide variety of issues. Lacto, a broad-spectrum digestive enzyme focusing on the complete digestion of milk proteins. Gluten Ease, high in DPP-4 activity, known for its ability to help break down gluten. And Virus Stop, an enzyme formulated to assist in the body eliminating pathogens. Enzyme Medica provides the purest enzyme products, free of fillers, anything artificial, and of all common allergens. We are dedicated to education and helping you find the best products for your children. Learn more today at www.enzymemedica.com. Are you finding fitness a chore? Is health and nutrition too time-consuming for you? It doesn't have to be like that at all. Tune in to Fit Fan for Fun, lifestyle fitness with your host, Shira Litwack. Every week, Shira and her guests will show you the fun side of fitness. We'll invite you to send topic suggestions and questions via email, as well as call into the program. You'll get sensible fitness and nutrition advice in a relaxed and fun program. You won't look at fitness as an enemy ever again. 
Fit Fan for Fun airs every Thursday at 1 p.m. Eastern, 10 a.m. Pacific on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. The Autism Hope Alliance is dedicated to the recovery of children and adults from autism. The goal of this nonprofit organization is to ignite hope for families facing the diagnosis through education and funding to promote progress today. Diet modification, biomedical intervention, and educational therapy have been shown to be successful tools on the path to recovery. Through these efforts, we believe hope will replace hopelessness. Recovery for our children is a reality. For more information, go to AutismHopeAlliance.org. You're listening to Voice America Health and Wellness. Welcome back to Autism One, a conversation of hope with Terry Aranga. If you have a question or comment, call us toll free at 866-472-5792. Now back to the program. Here's Terry. We're back with Sherry Schellenberger and Mary Sue Williams, co-owners of Therapy Works Incorporated. We've been talking about the ALERT program, and we were going to talk about some strategies before the break, and let's pick up with that. Sure. Well, I know, uh, Kristen, you did a really beautiful job of talking about some of the home strategies, and, and I think that um, what parents can uh, seem to like uh, as far as uh, our work is that uh, heavy work activities can often be linked to chores in the household. So certainly any of the things that uh, a lot are part of family life, if the child's able to help with laundry, moving laundry, moving groceries, doing uh, helping with furnitures, pillows, any yard work, if, they, if they're capable of that, that's a great thing. And so our, our families kind of like that. You know, parents need a little help with chores anyway, so mm-hmm. that's always going to work out. But um, in terms of um, uh, the, the school and the classroom, teachers are typically fantastic at transitional games, getting groups together to move from one place to another or moving from one subject to another or whatever. And all we want to try to do is help to support them to put some more of those heavy work pieces in there in those kinds of transitions. So maybe between subjects, they do a bunch of uh, chair push-ups in place, or they might play Simon Says with some heavy work where they push on chairs, push on walls. Uh, they may actually, we had one teacher who used to, it, it, in the Take 5 book, I think it talks about this, she had a city and country life for each subject. So if you were a person that liked city life where there was a little more noise and people closer together, then you moved your, your chair and your desk to that place, to city, the city area. And if not, you moved yourself out to the country on the edge of the room. And <laughs> I thought that was a beautiful example of she was doing it already. She probably just didn't understand what we would be so excited about is the heavy work of the moving the furniture there. So, you know, running errands, taking things to the office, uh, moving books and furniture in the classroom, things that are, again, functional pieces of school life, but just looking at that heavy worker, the self-regulation potential of what so many teachers are already doing such a fantastic job of. Okay, and and two, I really wanted to make sure that we covered your books. And I, Kristen, I know that you have a particular favorite with Take Five. Oh my gosh, yes, I absolutely love love this book from them. I mean, I like all their materials, but Take Five for me is one of my favorites because, as you guys are listening, you're probably thinking, "Oh gosh, how am I going to remember mouth, move, touch, look, and listen?" And you know, gosh, what does that exactly look like? And you know, how what is an activity in that category? And the Take Five book really goes into you know each of those categories, giving you suggestions of different activities you can either do in home or if you're a teacher you can do at school and to me it was so great because it took all of like I didn't have to really think which I really like sometimes 
to be, to be able to open it up and go, okay, I'm looking for, you know, a mouth category um, exercise or I'm looking for a move category exercise or a game or something. And I could take that and I could really expand it or, um, you know, uh, create it in a different way that maybe Jackson might like. Um, and, uh, oh, my gosh, we've had so much fun, you know, implementing these at home. And I swear, if you're in school, there's so many that the teachers would love. I used to teach, you know, kindergarten and first grade for those that know me, and I would have absolutely loved to have this book in my classroom. So this is one of my favorites, absolutely. <laughs> and you've had fun. I'm sorry? You've had fun. Yes. I, oh, my gosh. I had so, I had so much fun with their, with their stuff. <laughs> uh, we're all about having fun, no matter what we do, whether we're teaching or playing. We all want to have fun. In fact, that was one of the best comments, uh, compliments I ever got from a child. I was working with a child in a gymnasium, uh, was the only one in the, in the gymnasium at the time. OTs often have trouble finding spaces to work in schools, and I was at the... Uh, working with this child, and he looked up at me and he said, what do you do for a job? <laughs> wow. I thought I was volunteering to play with him. <laughs> Can you believe this is my job? <laughs> so having fun is important. Well, how do listeners get in touch with you or sign up for your alert program trainings? Well, um, probably the easiest way, obviously, at the, in this day and age is uh, at our uh, website, which is uh, alertprogram.com. And there's information about all of our upcoming courses. The, the cities we're going to be in, uh, well, this uh, winter-spring kind of cycle, or we're going to actually get to stay home here in Albuquerque, which is home to both of us, uh, for a course in January. Then we're out in San Francisco, down in Charleston, West Virginia, uh, down in Miami, Florida, and then uh, out in uh, Portland, Oregon for our spring cycle. And the rest of 2011 is listed on the website. So if that's an area somebody's listening for, they may want to look that up. Now, I want to jump in and say I've taken your program um, a few times now, um, or taken yeah. your workshops, I should say. They, like I said earlier, they are the best workshops I've ever taken. And what I think is so exciting, especially, um, and I'm a parent, so I'm not an OT, but I, there's so many different um, avenues in that workshop. You have OTs, you have nurses, you have parents, you have doctors. I mean, they're, it's all over the board. People come. And it's just it's such an If you ever have the opportunity to, if anyone listening, please, please go to one of their workshops because it will be something that you you will be so happy you did. And, you know, I think it's so great, too, because I know you guys haven't mentioned this, but especially if you're an OT and you are studying to be an OT, when you open up your textbook, um, guess who's going to be in there? It's going to be Mary Sue and Sherry because <laughs> they have to, like, read about you guys already. They're, like, already learning about all this great work. So how exciting for them that they now can go meet you as well. <laughs> I thought that was so cool. <laughs> Thank you for that. Yes, we're, we're excited, and it's been really uh, rewarding to have our work in a number of the different textbooks that uh, that folks would uh, be required to read in their pediatric part of their uh, occupational therapy training. Um, and if you wanted any more information about any of the research about the program, we're really excited. We, we have our books and our products, and sure, we would love you to buy stuff. There's also a lot of good free resources on our website that I would encourage folks with limited budgets to go ahead and look up. And one of those is a nice document where we've put together about 14 pages of a listing of, of research and, uh, and where the program has been researched, where, where it's addressed and referenced and that kind of thing. Because I know so many of us are, are uh, in a place where a lot of our funding for our work is tied to the evidence uh, about our different programs. So we, we have that up there as freebies. We also have some 
free, silly little broadcasts that I do with my one sister called the Slug Sisters that are free on our <laughs> website. We have some free uh, handouts that teachers or therapists can download and send home to parents to let them know when they're using the alert program, what's going on, why would my kid be talking about engines, what's going on. And that's translated into a bunch of different languages. And so uh, we're really proud of how and excited about how well it's been able to be a support for lots of different folks. And we try and what to is the website? The website, account. though, is alertprogram.com, right? Alertprogram.com, yes. <laughs> well, Mary, Sue, and Sherry, this I've just had such a great time talking to you today. I really thank you for being on and sharing this information with listeners. I, I know I just want to jump up right out of my chair and... <laughs> Come on over and, uh, and hear one of your lectures. Well, thank you so much for having us. We always enjoy getting to talk with folks. And, uh, of course, this is, as you can tell, kind of our extra passionate moment here. So We oh, love absolutely. talking about engines. So I uh, hope uh, listeners can uh, keep thinking about what do they do in this time, listening to the radio here. What were you doing to support your own engine? And the more we understand our own engines, the better we can be observers of the children we work in love with, love in our families. That's a really great point. And Kristen, any um, last messages to listeners? I just, I really just highly recommend going to their website, alertprogram.com, and looking at all their different things because honestly, like, I don't even think I'm going on four plus years um, of using their tools and techniques. And literally, not only has it helped my son, but it's helped me as well. So just highly recommend them. That's Absolutely. the truth. We can't go wrong helping ourselves on it either. <laughs> Well, thank you, too, to our sponsor, Enzymedica. For questions about this program, please email me at taranga at autismone.org. And to our listeners, thank you for tuning in to the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. Enzymedica would like to thank you for listening to Autism One, a conversation of hope. To contact Terry or get more information, visit AutismOne.org. Tune in next Tuesday for another hour of education and conversation on Autism One, a conversation of hope with Terry Aranga.